Well, I, I do want to just, uh, to the visitors here this morning, uh, you, you're going to have to come back. I'm not the pastor, okay? I'm just filling in today, so you have to come back at least one more time to hear our pastor. Um, as he, there, he's away traveling with his family, so uh, you're stuck with me today. So apologies for that, but uh, please come back and join us again when our pastor's um, uh, around. He does cartwheels and stuff. Uh, I will not be doing any of that. Uh, I plan on keeping my feet on the ground today, but... Uh, but you never know what would happen whenever pastor's around. So anyway, please come back and join us again. We'd love for you to meet him and hear his preaching. And, uh, and uh, Lord uses him around, around the country to, uh, to reach people with the gospel. So we're thankful for that. Um, there's, no, this is the, well, there's nothing worse. Well, maybe that's being a little overdramatic. But, you know, you ever have like a, a co-worker that uh, they go take a week vacation. And then they come back and they got to tell you all about it. And about how wonderful it was and how amazing. And you're like, yeah, that's great, but I had to do your job while you were gone. I don't want to hear about how, what a great time you had. You know, I was stuck here. I was stuck here in the coal mine, digging out the coal, and you were, you know, living the life of luxury or whatever. There's nothing worse than that. But that's what I'm going to do to you this morning. So I apologize ahead of time. Uh, uh, our family had got a chance a few weeks ago to go take a family vacation. And we actually went with all of our kind of extended family. And we'd never, never done that before. I'm not sure if we'll do it again. I had a good time, but I think some people didn't have as good a time as I did. I don't know. We may not, we may not do it again, but we all got to go together, and we stayed at the beach and uh, spent a lot of time out in the water. And, um, and w- whenever I was out in the water there, you know, it just uh, there's something about it. Well, first of all, just the scale of the ocean, just how big it is. And, uh, you know, you, you look, and like, as far as you can see, there's nothing but water, you know. And, and I didn't even go offshore. Um, Kevin and Becky went offshore and did some fishing. So they were like, where you couldn't even see land. They were so far out. Um, but you feel so small in the scale of how big the ocean is. The only other time I ever felt that way was I was driving west on, on I-70 through Kansas in the, in the, in the wheat fields. And you, you, you just feel like I'm just a speck in this vast expanse of nothing but just fields of wheat or corn or whatever, and that's how I kind of felt in the ocean uh, when I was there. But then the other thing when I was in the ocean is, um, you know, you, you kind of enter into the food chain, you know? Like, you're, you become part of, like, the cycle of life whenever you're in the ocean, you know, because there's animals out there that, you know, might decide that you might look like something they want to eat, and so, uh, you know, it was fun, but at the same time, you're, you're a little uncomfortable, and, uh, and, but we had a good time, but as I was out there, it kind of really got me thinking about uh, the way that God uses uh, the water, uh, uses the ocean, uses the sea to, uh, to give us uh, parables and metaphors and illustrations and examples. And in our text verse here in Psalms 24, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in. And let me just kind of uh, give you the common, common description of what's saying there's basically God's the boss. God's in charge. This is his world, and we're just living in it, okay? And it all belongs to him, and God's in charge, and he's the boss, and he gets to make the rules. But it goes on to say, for he hath founded it, talking about the world, he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And in biblical times, whenever they would talk about the sea, it was a bit of a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, uh, if you read in you know, the Bible, you'll see that many of the even early disciples were fishermen. They made their living out of the sea. They made their living going out into the water. That's how they provided for their family. So it was a place of abundance. But also, back in those days, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have fiberglass holes. They didn't have 
all the you know, safety, didn't have life vests, they didn't have all the stuff that we have today. And so although it was a place of abundance, it was also a place of danger. It was a place of fear. It was a place that even the Bible describes as a place of death. Um, you know, as a human being, you cannot live in the ocean forever. You, you have to have fresh water. You have to have food. And eventually at some point, something will come along and eat you. And so the ocean, although it was a place of abundance, it was a place where people made a living, it was also a place of danger. And so this morning for just a little bit, I'd like to kind of talk about a few different times in the Bible where we see the, the, the ocean or the sea playing an important role and maybe how that can apply to our life today. As I said, the Bible is filled of metaphors and examples and symbols and parables where the water, the salt water, the ocean or the sea is used. And this morning I'd like to start with uh, maybe a, a story that you're somewhat familiar with, and that's the story of the Exodus, of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And so if you have your Bibles, turn over to Exodus chapter 14, and you'll see a story here where, uh, and I don't know if they still do it anymore, but when I was a kid, every um, Easter weekend, they would play the Ten Commandments on TV. You guys remember that? I think it was on ABC or something. Every single year on Easter weekend, that Saturday night, they would play the Ten Commandments. And I watched, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, movie uh, of the Ten Commandments. And so you probably are familiar with the story where the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They've been freed after all the ten plagues. And now they're on their way to the promised land. And God has some instruction of where they're supposed to go. So Exodus chapter 14, let me get over there. Exodus 14, God gives some instruction to, the, to Moses on where the people should go. They've been freed. They've just been released from being in bondage and slavery. And now they're going out to freedom. And this was the instruction that God gave to Moses. Verse number 1 of chapter 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Phi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Balsaphon. Before it ye shall encamp by the sea. So, just to be clear, whenever the children of Israel went out, it wasn't like they said, hey, let's go to the edge of the Red Sea and let's camp there. God specifically instructed them to go there. And what you find in the story is that whenever they're freed, if you read the next few verses there, Pharaoh gets very upset, and he, even some of his counselors come and say, hey, why did you let them go? We, those were our slaves. We could have used them, and you just let them go free. And not only that, they took all our wealth with them. And so Pharaoh got upset, and so he says, we're going to go back and we're going to capture them. And so he goes out, and the Bible says he gets all of his men in chariots, and they begin to chase the children of Israel. And the children of Israel see Pharaoh coming, and they begin to panic, and they begin to get in despair. But then what you find is that uh, Moses stands up on the edge of the Red Sea. He lifts up his rod, and God performs a miracle. And the Bible says they were able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. But in this story, I see a comparison here to the sea being used as a dead end in life. A dead end in life. You know what a dead end is? You ever been on a dead end road and you just come to the end of the road and you can't go any farther? Well, that's what happened to the children of Israel. They were at a dead end. On one side of them, they had a, a, a vast sea they could not cross on their own, on one side. And on the other side, they had Pharaoh and, and all of his army coming with them to, to capture them and take them back into slavery. And the children of Israel found themselves at a dead end in life. I wonder if maybe this morning, if you've gone through some dead ends in life, you've had those moments in your life where you can't go any farther. You've exhausted your ability. There's nothing else you can do to change the situation. You get that phone call at the midnight hour. 
You get that diagnosis from a doctor. You get that, that, uh, that, that horrible experience in your life that you just don't know where to go next or what to do. You've come to a dead end in life. And we see in the story the sea is being used. God told them, I want you to go to the edge of the sea. I want you to go to a dead end. I want you to go to a place where you cannot do anything about what's going to happen next. You're totally helpless. And I want you to go to a dead end. And in our life, if you haven't had those, trust me, you will. There will be moments where you'll face a dead end in life. There's no other place to go. You are stuck between a rock and a hard place, as we like to say. You have no options other than just to sit and think. And boy, in that dangerous spot to be in. When we start thinking, when we just sit there in our own thoughts and our own mind and we get ourselves in a situation or we get ourselves in a, a mental state that isn't helpful. And we find that when we come to a dead end in life, we can learn a few things. First of all, I think you can learn something about our enemy. When you come to a dead end in life, you're going to learn something about the enemy. In verse number 7 in this chapter, Pharaoh uh, is, is angry. He's, he's, he's going to go chase the, the children of Israel, bring them back. And the Bible says in verse number 7, speaking of Pharaoh, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. So Pharaoh said, listen, this is, I made a mistake. I let him go. I'm going to go back and get them. And I'm not just going to send any ragtag group of people. I'm choosing 600, the Bible says, chosen chariots. These were specific. These were for a certain purpose. These weren't just some run-of-the-mill chariot that was going through the streets. No, these were specifically chosen for a purpose and a task to go retrieve those slaves and bring them back. And can I tell you, whenever, especially if you've been saved for a very short period of time in your life, or maybe you've recently, um, you, you, you've been away from God and you've come back to him recently, let me tell you, Satan's not happy about that. And Satan will not let you go without a fight. I'm so thankful for the message Pastor preached last Sunday night about making Satan feel unwelcome in our churches, in our homes, in our lives. Because Satan will, every chance you give him, well, the Bible says don't give place to the devil. Don't even give him a small place in your life because Satan will use that. And whenever you come to a dead end in life, you're going to find out Satan is going to be after you. And he'll use chosen chariots. You see, there's some, there's some temptations that will come upon my life that I, they, they don't really appeal to me. If somebody came up to me and said, uh, hey, John, I've, I, found this, I, I found some insider information about a football game this afternoon, and if you bet a bunch of money, you can win a bunch of money. If you, just give me your money, and I can wager it for you, and we can make a bunch of money by gambling. That, does, that kind of temptation doesn't appeal to me. That's not one that naturally is going uh, to attract me. But can I say there are other temptations that would? And Satan knows what those are, and Satan knows what yours are, and Satan will choose chosen chariots to come and drag you back to where you were. And, and, and the lesson for us is we cannot go back to the way we were before. And that may mean we have to change some relationships. That may mean we have to change some behavior. That may mean we have to change some where we live or, or what we do day to day. There may be some changes in our life because Satan is not happy and he's not going to give up without a fight. When we find ourselves in a dead end, we're going to learn something about our enemy. But not just something about our enemy, we're going to learn something about ourselves. When we come to dead ends in life, we're going to find out something about ourselves. In verses 10 through 12, the Bible says, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, so they could begin to see him, they could see, the, the children of Israel could see Pharaoh and the chariots coming. The children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou, brought, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? 
Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Can I tell you, whenever you get to dead end in life, you're going to learn something about yourself. You're going to find out, you know, it's easy to serve God when everything's going good. It's easy to serve God whenever you get the promotion at work and all the kids are healthy and all the finances are good and all the, all, the, all the issues in the family are going well. It's not hard to serve God and praise God then. But what about when we come to those dead ends in life where we have no place to go, no place to turn, no options in front of us to try and solve the problem? You see, what we find here is the Israelites, they begin to complain pretty quickly. I mean, they'd just been delivered miraculously. They'd just seen, they had seen the ten uh, plagues, or as our pastor says, the ten miracles, and they were released from, from bondage and slavery, and now they find themselves at a dead end, and their first response is, we should go back. Why'd you bring us out here? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? Moses, that's what they said. They said, weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? Why'd you bring us out here to die? We should have stayed back, and they even said, we should have stayed serving the Egyptians. That would have been better for us than this. But what a lesson for us as Christians that we find ourselves in those dead ends in life to ask ourselves, are, are we a fair-weather Christian? Do we only serve God when it suits us? Do we only serve God whenever we get what we want all the time? Or can we serve God when it gets hard? Can we serve God when it takes some effort? Can we serve God when it's not easy? When it does cost us something? Can we serve God then? Can we serve God at those dead ends in life? And let me tell you something. Only through going through a dead end do you find out what, a, what kind of Christian you are. What did the Bible say? Listen, if you can't, if you can't handle when the, when, the, when the footmen come, how are you going to handle when the horses come? You see, you find something about yourself when you go through dead ends. But not only that, not only do you find something, find, learn something about the enemy or learn something about yourself, you learn something about God. In verse number 13, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he, will show to you to, uh, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And if you continue to read this story, what you'll find is God commands Moses to lift up his rod. And when he does, the Bible says that the Red Sea opens up and they pass through on dry ground. As they get through safely to the other side, the Bible says that Pharaoh is chasing after them with their chariots. And at that moment... The, the walls of water collapsed down upon them. They're all destroyed. And exactly as what God said would happen did happen. And whenever you go through dead ends in life, you're going to learn some things about who God is. That with God, there are no dead ends. That God can, there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing too impossible for God to do. And God gives some instruction to his people here in these verses. In verse number 13, the instruction is, first of all, fear not. Isn't that a good reminder for us when we go through those dead ends in life? To not fear. And I'm not saying you're not going to be upset. I'm not saying that you're not going to have difficult days. But we don't have to fear because of who our God is. But he says not just no fear. He says tell them not to fear. But he also tells them in verse number 13 to stand still. Wasn't that the hardest thing to do when you come to a dead end in life? i got to do something. I can't just stand here. i got to try this or try that. And we go through all this effort. And what God says, just stand still. Just be patient. Just wait for me to work. He goes, he goes, also, he goes on to say here in verse number 14, 
Verse number 14, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And isn't that a hard, a hard order to fulfill, to hold your peace? <laughs> to just shut your mouth sometimes? Boy, we love, isn't that, isn't that what they did? They get to this dead end in life, it was the first thing to complain. Moses, why have you done this? You brought us out here to die. And God said, just, just hold your peace. Just shut your mouth. I'm not saying that being ugly to you. I'm telling you that sometimes as a Christian, the right thing to do is just shut your mouth. Let God speak for you. God doesn't need your help. <laughs> he doesn't need you to be a good defense attorney and plead your case. Just hold your peace. And then in verses 15 and 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift, that, but lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. The final thing that God said to them is, go forward. You've come to a dead end. You don't have a way out. You, you, you feel like, you feel like it's just, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, you're going to sit there and dwell about it? You can sit there in misery? You're going to sit there and just contemplate? Or will you go forward? And so God tells these children of Israel, he says, don't be afraid. Be still and let me work. Hold your peace and then go forward. You see, when you come to dead ends in life, you learn something about God. You learn about the true God that we serve. But let me say this is before we go to our next uh, story, our next illustration. There are some times in life where God does not deliver you from that dead end. Sometimes the diagnosis doesn't change. Sometimes the person doesn't get healed. Sometimes that's just the way it's going to be the rest of your life. I, I recall the story of Paul where as the Bible says he went to the Lord three times and said, Lord, would you remove this thorn in the flesh? And three times God said no. He said, you know what? You're going to just deal with it. You're going to live with it because that's what's best for you. And sometimes in life you don't get delivered from that dead end. Well, that's not the only story about the, the seas that we see. Let's turn over to the book of Jonah. Another very familiar story that you find in Jonah. Now, now the story in Exodus was a story about dead ends and how the sea was used as a dead end. But in the story of Jonah, we see that it's not a story about a dead end, but it's a story about God's judgment. And so let's turn over to uh, Jonah. Jonah chapter number 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was to be broken. Then the mariners were, were afraid and cried every man to his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was, down, was gone down to the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell upon Jonah. 
Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea might be calm unto us? For the sea, for the sea wrought and was temptuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that at my sake this great tempest is upon you. So in this second story, we see the sea again plays an important role, but this time the sea is not there as a picture of a dead end, but it's a picture of God's chastisement upon a disobedient servant, Jonah. Now Jonah uh, did not want to go to this place called Nineveh. Nineveh was like their mortal enemy. If you were a Jew in that day, the last thing you wanted to do was to help the Ninevites. They were horrible people that did horrible, wicked things, and he didn't want to have any part of trying to help them. And a matter of fact, if you turn just a, a couple of pages over in your Bible, Jonah gives us the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. It says here in chapter number 4, in verses 1 and 2, this is after God has spared Nineveh, and Jonah's upset about it. The Bible says, but it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? So before, whenever you first asked me to go to Nineveh, isn't this is what I told you was going to happen? What was going to happen? Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. So Jonah was saying, I did not want to go to Nineveh because I wanted them to die. And I knew if I went that you're such a good and loving God that you would forgive them and you would spare them. And I didn't want that God. And so what you find is a disobedient servant. And he's running from God. And in the story we read here, there's a great, there's a great storm on the sea. And, and they're having to cast stuff off the boat. And eventually they realize the reason they're going through this horrible situation was because of disobedience of Jonah. And whenever God chastises us, and that word chastisement, it means to discipline or instruct Whenever God chastises us, it's not because he's angry, it's not because he's trying to punish us, but it's because he's trying to draw us closer back to him. That's why God sends chastisement. That's why God judges us sometimes. I'm reminded of the psalm uh, in Psalm 107 where there's a scripture here about men that make their living on the ocean. The Bible says in Psalms 107, verse number 23, they that go down into the sea in ships that do business in great waters, these see the works of God and his wonders in the deep. Now, if you recall, uh, this has been last summer, pastor preached a message out of a very kind of similar thought of um, if you really want to see God, you've got to go, you got to go into deep water, right? You want to see God work in your life. But the Bible goes on to say here, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy winds, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, talking about the waves. The waves are so high, they, they mount up to, to heaven. And they go down into the depths their soul is melted because of trouble. Talk about these men, whenever they're in these storms of life, or storms out in the sea, that whenever these waves are raging, the Bible says they just melt inside when they see what trouble they're in. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men. Have you ever been on a boat before where there's a lot of choppy water, and you're trying to hold your balance, and you're walking around like this? This is what the Bible's describing. They're, they're staggering to and fro like drunken men, and are at their wit's end. Just like in the story of Jonah, they cast over all the gear to try and keep the boat, boat afloat, but none of it worked. They were at their wit's end. Then, verse number 28, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, 
and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the calm, he maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad, and they be quiet. So he bringeth them under their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. When the Bible here is talking about God's goodness and his wonderful works, it's talking about putting us through storms. Because when God puts us through storms, it gets our attention. Listen, if you're on a boat and you see, I'm talking about if you were literally on a boat and you saw waves coming over and crashing on the boat, let me tell you, your, your heart would melt. And the Bible says when you get in those situations, it causes you to turn your heart back to God. And that we should praise him when we go through storms in life. You see, our father is a, a good father. I've used this illustration before, and I hope it doesn't happen today. But this literally, I use this illustration, and literally R.C. did this. Uh, so I hope it doesn't happen today. It's been a few years, so maybe he's matured some. But let's just imagine that my oldest son, R.C., uh, uh, came, up, came up here after the service. And, uh, and, he, and he began running through the pews. And he began getting psalm books and throwing them up in the air and ripping out pages. And then he got up here on the platform, and he began to pound on the pianos and all the musical instruments and knocked over the flag and was making all kinds of ruckus. What would you think about me as a father if I didn't discipline him? I hope we would all agree that a child that did that would need to be disciplined. I hope we could all agree on that. This is not the place to do that. This is the Lord's house. We should respect it. But let's just say that happened. And as I said, when I used this illustration, he actually did some of this stuff. So we had to have a talk afterwards. In our sinfulness, we know that our children should be instructed when they do something wrong. Our Heavenly Father is a much better Father than we are. And whenever we disobey, He's a good Father and He will correct us. He will chastise us. He will instruct us. Your, your question may be this morning, well, how do I know if I'm experiencing God's punishment or God's patience? How do I know? How can I tell the difference between God's judgment and God's patience trying to call me back to Him? Well, here's the answer. Are you alive this morning? Are you breathing? Then you're experiencing God's patience. God's punishment is in eternity. In this life, you have God's patience. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's God's goodness to us that he blesses us and he's provided salvation for us and he's done all these wonderful things in our life and it's God's goodness today that allows us to be saved. And sometimes whenever God has to chastise us, he has to instruct us, he has to discipline us, it's for our own good and because of God's patience. You see, God never allows his children to sin successfully. You will not sin and be happy. If you're a child of God, you will not sin and have joy and peace in your life. All that will be gone because God is going to chastise you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he hath received. If ye endure chastening... God deal with you, with you as sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are, not, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, God 
will correct his children because he's a good father. Now, I don't know what your personal thoughts are on this, but I'll tell you, I can just, common sense, you can just look around the world and you can see we've had about four decades of, of, uh, of instruction on how to raise children from secular doctors and Dr. Spock and, and all these different people that try and tell you how to raise children the right way and the wrong way. And we've had about four decades, and all I do is turn the news on and see how it's turned out. Parents that won't discipline their children. They won't instruct their children. And why? Because they love themselves more than their children. Listen, I don't, I don't like to discipline. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel bad when I discipline my children. I'd much rather just say, don't do it again. But if I'm going to be a good father, I have to discipline my children. And you can see the results of it all in our society of a generation that has never been disciplined by a parent. And you can read what the Bible says, what exactly happens to children that don't get disciplined. They get spoiled. And that's exactly what you see people riding in the streets and acting like fools because they've never been disciplined by a parent because their parents love themselves more than their children. But can I tell you, our Heavenly Father is a much better parent than we are. And he will chastise, he will chastise us. He will discipline us. But could I also say, just like sometimes dead ends don't go away, sometimes we face consequences of our decisions that don't go away. And that chastisement lasts the rest of our life. One more story and we'll be done. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, another time when the sea is used. Matthew chapter 8, and this is a story of the disciples going across the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus tells them to get into a boat, and he goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he falls asleep. And while he's sleeping, a storm comes. And we'll read the story here about what happens here in verses uh, 23 through 27 of Matthew chapter 8. The Bible says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Now, now pay attention to this. His disciples ended up in a storm, not because they disobeyed him, but because they followed him. If you follow Jesus, you're going to go through some storms. If you follow him, you will go through some storms. And behold, verse number 24, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds, and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So we see that seas are compared to dead ends. Seas are compared to discipline or chastisement. And here we see seas are compared to God's testing in our life. Jesus was testing his disciples in this story. He wanted to see how they would respond whenever their life was in danger. Would they have trust and confidence that they were following the master, everything was okay, or would they panic? And the storm came, not because they disobeyed, but because they followed the Lord. And the, sword, and, the, and the storm was sent to reveal the disciples' faith. Would they become frightened? Would they accuse Jesus of not caring? I wonder if that's maybe something we've been guilty of as Christians. That sometimes we go through testing, and sometimes in our heart we think, God, don't you care? God, can't you see? God, why have you done this to me? And in those moments of testing, we fail. Would they trust Jesus in the storm? And what we find is an example of Jesus who shows us that not only can you have peace in the storm, you can sleep in the storm. That's available for you. That's available for me. That we can go through storms in life and have peace. I saw a thing on social media the other day that said, when, da when Daniel was in the lion's den, he, he took a nap. And whenever Jesus was in, the, was in the boat, he took a nap. And when Peter was in jail, he took a nap. 
And the lesson is it's never wrong to take a nap. It's always good to take a nap. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes, just like dead ends don't go away and chastisement doesn't go away, sometimes the storms don't go away. Sometimes you have a storm for a lifetime. There's one last verse I'd like us to look at and we'll be done here this morning. Revelation chapter number 21. Revelation chapter number 21. In verse number 1, the Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. What God has promised is in this life, you're going to have hard times. He promised that. He promised. What did Peter say? He said, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials as though some strange thing happened to you. That's completely normal for a Christian to go through storms, to go through chastisement, to face dead ends, to face testing of our faith. But what he's promised is there's a day coming where there'll be no more sea. Now, for some of us that love salt water, trust me, God's got something better. But there'll be no more dead ends. There'll be no more chastisement. There'll be no more testing because our faith will become sight. No more death. No more parting. No more division. No more peril. No more danger. There'll be no more seas. But that's a promise for only the children of God. There's another promise that God gives. In the book of Revelation, he talks about a place called the second death, and it's called the lake of fire. And that will be for eternity for those that have rejected Christ. This morning, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if for no other reason than the fact that one day all the seas will be gone, I beg you, don't turn them away again. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Become a child of God. And you may go through some storms, but you can have peace. And you can have the promise that one day there'll be no more seas. That's right. Bow their head and close their eyes. But I want you to hear my heart. And the song is called I Have a Savior. Can you all hear that okay? Thank you.
By his grace and mercy I'm saved You're my future, you're my hope You're the anchor for my soul And I was made for you You're my future, you're my hope You're the And mercy, I'm saved. 